All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 163. My name is Bob Akhairi. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you and hear what your thoughts are about what's going on in college football this week. Let's see here. As we fire this up, so much to talk about. Lots of stories, lots of things. Some quick scoring updates. Conference USA has continuously been producing some great Tuesday night action. Liberty right now has actually finally taken a two-score lead on Western Kentucky. They're right now up about 21-10 at the end of the third quarter. This may be a preview of the Conference USA title game because Jackson State, which is bowl eligible, well, they're, they're up to six wins, but they can't play in a bowl because they're stuck in the same zone James Madison is. And New Mexico State finally broke a 24-24 tie late in the fourth quarter with about five minutes left on CBS Sports Network. New Mexico State is up 27-24. to So again, my name is Bob Ekhairi. This is RCFB Talk. I'm just going to go ahead and mention one other thing while I'm at it. So we, I've actually got another podcast that's been going on right now in collaboration with Advanced Media Group. The College Football Survivor Show just restarted. So taking the place of Doug Lemaris, who has uh, decided to start his own Ohio State website. So me and Shehan Jayaraja, the uh, CBS National Sports Correspondent, are doing that show as well. So if you're into finding out really specific discussion on college football playoff contenders, feel free to tune into that. And that's all I'm going to say about that because just figured I'd mention it because we just restarted that program this week. But let's see here. I see John has hit a request. So, again, if you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to hit request in the bottom left, and we'll try and get you up here uh, to talk college football. So let's see here. John, what's going on? How are you? I guess it's not unmuting on your side. So (laughs) we'll get to that in a second. You know, one other story I just wanted to – one story I wanted to hit on really quick before I forget. A lot of – obviously, what's been going on at Michigan has been getting a lot of attention. but And I'm not sure if if this has been spurred because of what's been going on there. But apparently – and this is something that was discussed prior to the past couple – past week or so. College football is going to be trying out some – coach to player communication technology during the bowl season. So it's obviously something the NFL has had since I believe 94. And it's something where college football has had the opportunity to add it, but the excuses quite frankly, don't entirely add up apparently. And this is the irony of it. Some coaches who like to steal signs don't like the idea of adding the technology. Some programs are afraid that particularly programs that are not as financially uh, robust as the P5 may not be able to easily afford installing the technology. The most compelling argument had been apparently it may void some of the liability issues with helmet manufacturers and put the onus back on the schools. But regardless, I think a lot of people would like to see that technology in college football and at the very least. They haven't quite figured out the entire details, but this bowl season, everything but the New Year's Six college football playoff, or maybe just the college football playoff, pardon me, will be using the, uh, will be trying to use some coach to player communication, whether they're wristbands that are digital or the helmet uh, connection, we'll see. And I guess it's going to be determined possibly by the teams in each bowl, but uh, that seems to be an opportunity. And I think that would be something, frankly, I don't even, regardless of all the news that's been going on, it's something I would love to see as well. So let's see. We've got a bunch of people who have actually queued up. I'm going to try and go in the order I sort of saw people pop up. Um, Let's get bulky fried rice. I'm going to go ahead and let you up. And then uh, there's kind of a time jump 
because uh, there was a slight time delay in, for those of you listening versus being live. But let's see here. Uh, bulky fried rice, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, man? Good, good. I just got a quick sentiment. Uh, everybody in here is playing for second. Three-peat incoming. How about them fucking dogs? <laughs> you know, I think Georgia has absolutely every shot at making it. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I've had this discussion just literally yesterday on this topic. And, you know, Georgia, it's it's kind of different. You know, I mean, yeah, the defense isn't quite like the last two seasons, but they're good on both sides of the ball. And this is a season where I think absolutely Georgia has a strong chance of making it in um, and certainly winning it out. This is actually one of the most interesting years, I think. In the, it, It's a good swan song for the 14 playoff because I think we're going to get some people that are annoyed they were left out at the rate things are going. I don't think we're going to have four clear teams by the time we make the playoff cut. So I think that'll be a great segue for next season when we can get more teams and more excitement. I think it's going to be more excitement. I think it's going to be a whole lot more fun out there. It's crazy the the hate that's coming our way. Like I saw some Florida State fan talking shit to a Georgia fan earlier talking about, oh, yeah, you guys have only been relevant the past like three years. It's like, dude, we've been in the playoffs What like the last like four or five years. Yeah, Georgia has silenced any of that critique, I think, in most people's minds. I mean, you get always fans that are extremely passionate, maybe partisan but frankly, I think Georgia has, has more than, than earned its respect at this point, especially under Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart, I mean, the question is really, I mean, it, frankly, at one point, I think by week three, we were wondering, is he just now succeeded Saban in reaching that, that echelon? Although Saban certainly rallied the troops in a way that has proven why he's also an ex- exceptional coach. But I, I'm excited to see how Georgia finishes out this season. And um, I just hope... Well, I hope Brock Bowers has a speedy recovery. I mean, that that's a big loss. But at the same time, sure. I think Georgia can absolutely compete with everybody in the rest of the schedule very well and probably should be favored in, in most of those games, if if not every game, until maybe the playoff. And even then, I, I, I think we'll just have to see how the teams shape up. I got a uh, just a quick question for you, and I'm going to hop back down to listen. Sure. But why do you, why do you think, uh, with like the recruiting classes that they have, why do you think Alabama can't find like a stud quarterback? Like, you know, they put out Tua and – hurts but it seems like they're always struggling to find that guy every other year you know i that's a great question because they for a little while there they certainly had some star quarterbacks and it's kind of funny if you look at that evolution of the team under Saban. they started more defense heavy their offenses were kind of not exceptional but got the job done and the defenses were just killer and then you know they brought lane and they were willing to go to more of a spread offense and then we started to see great receivers on the edge and then the quarterback seemed to follow because suddenly you knew you could go there and thrive because there were targets to go at. This year, it's like, I don't know what happened. And I mean, there's so much unpredictability when you put together a recruiting class. Sometimes people just don't work out as well as you thought they were going to or they're just not ready and maybe they'll develop out. I always think we always have to remember the ages of these these folks playing ball. Some of them will develop. I mean, I always – I. I am a little older than Carson Palmer, but I still remember his entire tenure at USC. And only that final year was he like a Heisman caliber quarterback. So sometimes these guys that just develop over time and you have to give them that patience. But yeah, this has been kind of an awkward year because it's been interesting to see Alabama's recruiting and you know ability to, to take whoever they really want. Because like Georgia, like uh, many of the other blue blood teams, they can almost pick who they would like to bring in. But, you know, it's remarkable how that that season has turned to the point where it almost seems like, okay, we're back on a collision course between Georgia and Alabama in the SEC title game. 
which is remarkable. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I just can't, I, I, I can't critique Saban's coaching at this point. I just, it's ridiculous. It's just exciting to watch for as long as we get to see it. And I think there's a lot of folks who are, would be happy to see him retire one day, but while he's still here, it's be, I'll be one of those people for sure. <laughs> thanks for joining us, man. It was great. Yeah. Thanks for letting me speak, man. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Let's see here. Bob DeMarzin, uh, and I may have mangled that. And I apologize. Bob DeMarzin, I'm going to let you up next. Um, Feel free to unmute. Love to hear from you. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Great. Hey, I just uh, wanted to talk about Ohio State if I could. Absolutely. All right. So did everyone watch the game on uh, Saturday at noon against Penn State? That is just, I mean, first of all, it's, it was stunning defensive performance, but just yes. you cannot deny the she, I mean, because isn't that isn't that the big question? Is Marvin Harrison the best, one of the best players, if not the best player in college football? I was wide receiver, he's probably the best. I mean, but he makes an argument of being one of the top players in any position right now. So I'm an elderly gentleman, and I've been a Buckeye, you know, zealot for decades. And I have to say, I've told my son this many times that Marvin Harrison is the best Buckeye I've ever seen wear the scarlet and gray. It's not hyperbole. I've seen them all. From Archie and, you know, that crew and, and on. And he is on another level. It's crazy. And I, I just hope people enjoy it. I hope people let go of their, you know, tribal rivalries and just appreciate how beautiful he truly is. Yeah, he's absolutely he's he, I mean, and, and the sad thing is, I mean, isn't he from Pennsylvania? So that might have that had not been. Yeah, a, he's a Philly guy. Been, yeah, exactly. That is a tough, tough, tough thing. Yeah. And then if we you're, have if you're watching Fleming that. from Pennsylvania, they got our court quarterbacks from Ohio. Drew Allers, an Ohio kid, though. So. Well, of the two, we know which one stepped up the most yesterday, <laughs> probably on Saturday. That's yeah, for sure. And Kyle, I mean, Kyle McCord's a Philly guy, too, you know. Mm -hmm. And he's playing really yeah. well. You know, I, I call him Krenzel 2.0 because, remember, when Ohio State wins titles, it's the defense that wins. And I, I think that's true for all teams. But Ohio State's defense puts them in the game. And Kyle, Cord is, Kyle McCord is Craig Krenzel 2.0 improvement. I love it. Absolutely. Those linebackers and JTT are unreal. They are. Uh, I mean, that that defense, actually, both defenses were pretty damn good on Saturday. 100%. But yes. but the problem is Penn State just didn't have the, the offense and Aller just couldn't put together a game that I mean, the, the entire offense really didn't get it together. I was I mean, it's so funny. I mean, ever, much has been said about the one third down that came on a face mask late in the game. And, uh, you know, it was so funny because as a joke, uh, kind of a, a longstanding kind of thing we do in our CFB, we look for the worst blowout of the week each week and we give it the cobra kai award it's usually never in d it's usually not in the fbs it's usually some off the rails d3 right. game but the the team that won and it was kind of a weak game but like even the team that lost had a better third down uh success percentage <laughs> than penn state did, which was one for 16 <laughs> it's unreal it's like six percent that's, that's insane i'm telling you and you mentioned jt jt tumiolo lao is the man. I mean, he played when he gets up against Penn State, man. He is an NFL prospect. Look out for JT. He'll go early next next year. 
Yeah, and it's it's crazy to think that that offense. I mean, because again, the offense. I mean, I'm not going to say the Ohio State offense like rolled. They just got it done. They got it done. Right. And when the the defense was mostly both defenses were doing just playing extremely well. But it's amazing to think that again, the Ohio State offense didn't have Ekbuka. It didn't have uh, Travion yeah, Henderson. Henderson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't and have Denzel so, Burke, our number one cover corner. Yeah. And let's all give it up for Ryan Day. He schemed. Marvin Harrison open man. He had him. They had he had Penn State pretzeled all day, and Marv was always there. It was beautiful. And if he wasn't there, Cade Stover was there. And Julian Fleming made some nice plays. It was a real nice performance. And you know what? Kyle McCord. Oh, I'm sorry. 22 for 35, 286, three TDs, zero interceptions. I mean, what else do you want? And beat Penn State, a top 10 team. A great team. All respect yeah. to them. And, and Ohio State right now, I think, has probably the best resume just in terms of being Notre Dame and being Penn State. Other teams will get their chance as well to, to improve on that. But at least at this point, they, they've got those two statement wins. And when the lights have been on them, they've won. That's the bottom line. You know, um, is that all you can hey, ask tell for? Lou Holtz were tough as man. <laughs> yeah, poor, good old Lou Holtz. Yep, <laughs> that's right. And he galvanized us. Oh man. my goodness! Yeah, that would be funny hey, too. They should de- like. The I mean, it would be too forward. much to. De- I mean, if, if you know, it would be silly to dedicate a win to him. But like, that would be hilarious. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh that's man, gonna, that's the galvanization that's going to oh, propel wow. us to the to the promised land. So I can't wait. Well, thanks for your time tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. Let's see. I'm going to try and let John back on. Uh, At the very beginning, we tried to let him on and there was a bit of a technical hiccup there. So John, uh, what's going on? Can you, Oh, there, what's working? Hey Bob, can you hear me? Sure. I don't know what happened earlier. That was kind of weird, but um, how you doing tonight, man? (laughs) I'm good. It's a little tiresome, but uh, I'm like just tired in general, just from stuff to do. But uh, I can never get enough talking about college football. It's like energy just takes over. You know, it's like the Popeye music. You know, kicks up and you just want to like, <laughs> you know, go at it. So, yeah, there's so much going on right now. I mean, you know, one of the other stories before I forget, and, and I know, John, you always like to to, to, to um, flatter me when I talk about this. But one of the new stories that's coming out is and Ross Dellinger, who I always love his reporting. Apparently, it's interesting to see what's happening to Wazoo and Oregon State, because as we know, Pac-12 is just going to be them next season. The Tupac or the Tupac or whatever you want to say. Um, but. They're apparently currently, and it's not. It's still in the initial discussions, or at least the middle of discussions. They're trying to work out apparently an alliance proposal, which uh, that's a. I don't like that word after what happened with the the last time college football conferences tried to form an alliance. But they're trying to figure out something that could apparently work with the Mountain West, um, and. It sounds like because again, part of the problem is they're still in the middle of litigating with the rest of the Pac-12 in terms of who's going to get what as the as a conference kind of, you know, handles their separation. But it sounds like one of the interesting plans here, it almost sounds like they're going to work, try and work with the Mountain West to create maybe a series of eight games. They're trying to determine whether they'd be considered conference games for the, the Mountain West or whether they'd be non-conference games. Would this be something like Notre Dame's relationship to the ACC in terms of play? But it's been kind of an interesting story. I mean, it's still a little early to say there's any final plan. But I know that's one of those things in the background that's been kind of hovering this season, especially after what happened in, in the, the, the just the crazy August we had with the implosion of the conference. So 
that story has been going in the background. I just wanted to mention that that seems to be where we are right now. But John, what's your thoughts these days? Hey, sorry. I'm just going to test my speaker again. Can you hear me? Sure awesome. can. Well, I just want to begin tonight. Um, just, you know, give me dates. Uh, it's, you know, a little bit, it's a little bit of humble brag about my own state, Virginia, of course. Uh, the state of Virginia had a great weekend, you know, uh, or just a great week in general. You know, Liberty uh, won again. Uh, they're undefeated. JMU is now ranked after beating, you know, a pretty tough conference opponent in Marshall. My uh, my Monarchs, you know, beat App State for the first time. UVA beat UNC. Uh, Virginia Tech had a bye week. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, that's probably better than any any game at the moment for them. Um, on the opposite side, though, I think I cannot remember a worse week, worse Saturday for a state than Mich- the state of Michigan. All four of their five teams lost. Um, I believe. Uh, Western Michigan lost to Ohio. Um, Eastern Michigan lost to uh, um, Northern Illinois. Um, I've, <laughs> Central Michigan lost to a one-win Ball State. Uh, Michigan, of course, they won, but you know they sort of you know won the battle. Uh, currently losing the war with you know every almost all of their wins being questioned at the moment, and somehow they did not have the worst Saturday. Michigan State, of course. Losing forty nine to zero and then having uh, questionable trivia before the game even started. That so, trivia question has absolutely been one of the most. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I, for those of you who may not have heard about this, I'm just going to go ahead and say go through the quick story because it's just so outrageous. It's it's so like what you know because obviously Michigan State is listing badly. You know everything going on with the head coach being fired for just issues that are completely. Uh, I mean, even he, even when he's like, oh, no, I did. I only did blank. Even when he said, like, I only did something, it was bad. But, you know, obviously the program is is struggling. They're not doing well in the field. And then they, they're getting blown out. But right before the blowout, apparently the whole story is because at first it was so crazy. I remember when it appeared like in our feed here on our CFB, like we started sharing it. We're like, this couldn't be true. So during the pregame, they apparently flashed a giant photo of Hitler on the scoreboard, but it was for a trivia question. But several people caught pictures of it because um, I think everyone was looking at the, the scoreboard like, wait, what the heck? Um, and it was just like asking where he was born. But so a giant photo of Hitler gets shown in Spartan Stadium. And then so meanwhile, in the middle of the blowout, like in the second half of the game, the administration of Michigan State has to issue an apology for flashing a giant image of Hitler on their screen. So this is why they're getting blown out by their rival. This is like one of the rock bottom moments i mean there's an argument of whether rock bottom was the the tunnel fight last season where some of their players attacked a michigan player but this is certainly a pr disaster for them and then the whole explanation was even more absurd apparently because at first it was confusing like we used a third party vendor i'm like well why did you have a third party do your trivia it turns out actually it sounds like somebody took something off of youtube which is like a uh, somebody produced a, a series of trivia questions that you can just toss up on any screen. And that's no one bothered to actually look through the entire trivia question, like however long this video went. Some people found it and shared the video in the exact moment on Twitter. And no one bothered to vet it. So that's how this giant's, you know, picture of one of the, I mean, humanity's worst individual in the last, you know, however many years, you know, on the screen. Uh, just how. So, yeah, Michigan State, for as good as Michigan did, Michigan State, by far, like, they were the, the, the sh- for as high as Michigan went in that game, Michigan State was the shadow. And, of course, as you said, 
the controversy kind of hovering around the program with uh, Connor Stallion, who, whatever you want to say, that's a hell of a name, though. I just got to say it. I, that, when I heard that name, I'm like, wait, for real? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, Bob, yeah, I guess the, the question really, uh, myself, is can you remember the last time a single state has had such a bad Saturday? I, I can't remember the last time a single state just just, just the entire state, all their programs just – just had a just absolute bad day. I mean, that's just... for the sheer number of teams in Michigan, I might give them some credit there. Cause I can think of, I mean, you could look to the eighties when both the Oregon teams were just so bad that they played the famous, I mean, when there was a civil war, which is what they used to call their rivalry game, which is nicknamed the toilet bowl because both teams were absolute hot garbage. And, and Hey, heck, you know, there was that, there was that season not all that long ago where the the Washington teams almost I think they had one win between them in the Apple Cup at the end of the season. So there, yeah. there's been a few. Yeah, that was uh, that was early 2010s. Actually, I actually remember exactly what you're talking about. It was just an abnormally awful game <laughs> that year. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, thanks for bringing that. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. It was nice to be able to touch on all those the the Michigan antics, especially the the that utter fiasco of a game. Uh, in terms of just on and on, literally just off the field. But let's see here. I want to let as many folks up who I can. I'll try to get to as many of you um, who are waiting. And I thank you all for your patience. Let's see here. Dylan, I'm going to move to you. Um, Go ahead and let you up. Um, I always wait until the last second to let folks up because the longer you wait on mute, the the more chance there's kind of a hiccup in this Twitter or the X space system. That's why. But Dylan, what's going on? We'd love to hear from you. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I always like to, you know, whenever I get the chance, I like to talk about the little guys because, you know, I feel like the big guys get plenty of talk. Um, what What are some of the, you know, maybe you, I mean, I'm watching Liberty right now. What are some of the, like, uh, the best group of five teams? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, Liberty has, has looks like they've broken a, a pretty substantial lead on Western Kentucky. As I mentioned really early on, this could be a preview of the Conference USA title game only because Jacksonville uh, State can't play. And I think I missaid at Jackson State earlier. Apologies. But Jacksonville State simply can't play in uh, any postseason because they are in the same boat James Madison is. But um, and then New Mexico State looks like they may hang on to win. Looks like, in fact, they may have just got the ball back in Louisiana Tech. Is, that's awesome. That means New Mexico State, by the way, is going to go to uh, full eligibility with this win, but uh, which is great for Jerry Kill. But going back to your bigger question, best G5 teams. I mean, I think right now it's between Tulane and Air Force. Air Force is currently undefeated. Um, their schedule is not too bad, especially looking forward. They, they handled Navy. That's important. I think there was a, there was a concern that their quarterback was going to be injured, but he played. Um, and it was yeah. it was certainly a tight game with Air, uh, with uh, Navy and and part of it I don't know how much of it is just the the fact that they the academies are absolutely they are their their biggest rivals, but their schedule is fairly good. The game I'm most concerned about is actually this upcoming weekend at Colorado State. Colorado State has played a lot of teams close. I mean the rest of their schedule is Army, which. You know, armies. This is probably one of the worst army teams in in a while. I mean, maybe tw- I mean two thousand three was, was at the bottom, but being shut out twice is is remarkable um, for for army right now, especially in their their history. UNLV will be tough as well, um, but but Colorado State and UNLV I think are their two big challenges, but they're they're manageable. Now going over to Tulane, 
that lost without their starting without their star uh, and a close loss to Ole Miss is, I think, has looked better with time. So I think Tulane winning out will also have strong consideration, and they absolutely have that opportunity to return and being the, the into the New Year's Six as well. Their schedule right now is is more reasonable, I think. Um, well, actually, is manageable. I don't know. Yeah, with you know at Rice at ECU, ECU has just been so disappointing this season. Tulsa, FAU, it's Tom Herman, but he's been kind of like it, it's his first season. They've won some interesting ones, but they've also lost where they should have lost. And then UTSA, which is a little disappointing. They're not as strong as I think people yeah. thought they were going to be. Um. But and then of course I will say James Madison. I think James Madison. I'm not sure. They seem to be one of the toast of the entire G5. Their that defense of theirs is absolutely ferocious. Um, they have some real stars there. And the problem is, I'm seriously against that NCAA rule that keeps them out. But uh, yep. they may be one of the best teams out there. And of course the Sun Belt, the Fun Belt. They have a habit of of eating their own, especially after they get ranked. So we'll see how long it lasts. Um, maybe is, is that was that the was that the moment where they got a little bit cursed? But we'll see about that. I'm looking forward to seeing their game with Georgia State because Georgia State, and that's in a couple of weeks. Uh, Georgia State has been absolutely one of the more enjoyable surprises in the G5 because they've hit bowl eligibility really early on in the season. I still remember the first season they made it bowl eligible. They basically fell into it in the last possible week, and it was just hard for them to do it because it's always been tough uh, for that program to, to, to climb up. But I'm looking forward to that game. But first, I think, of course, JMU's got to take care of Old Dominion, which in and of itself has been an unpredictable kind of uh, unpredictable team in, in the Sun Belt in terms of who they can beat and who they can't. John, I know you wanted to add something because I know you're a big ODU guy. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think uh, the – the JMU rain ends this Saturday, I think. But um, the Bob, I was just gonna just ask, did you uh mention UNLV in that uh in that list at all? I really I went through it too quick. I think UNLV is a strong G five right now. I don't think they're necessarily gonna challenge for the top. And granted, their only loss was to Michigan, which you know at this point, <laughs> Michigan's been the most consistent team. Um, I'm not gonna say they have the marquee wins of some of the other programs, but when. Every game they've scored more than 30 and they've kept the other opponent down to 10 or less. That's just consistency right there. Um, so they, they seem like a strong contender and certainly playoff bound at this point. But UNLV, I think they're strong. I don't know. They got a little bit lucky in how their schedule is structured. So I'm not entirely sure if they're going to continue this this level of um, this level of, of victory. Yeah, probably this level of, of winning all the way to the end. But you know, to get where they are right now, especially um, in this this first season for Barry Odom is absolutely striking. But I mean, again, they go to Fresno State, they've got Wyoming, they go to Air Force, like the, the toughest three teams on their schedule are coming up still. So that's why I'm a little bit, I'm, I like UNLV, but I, I think there's some other contenders, at least for the G5 right now, who are the top. But um, let's see here. I'd love to bring in some other voices as well. Let's see here. Um, Beck A, I know you've been very patient as well. I'm going to let you up, and then I'll, I'll try to get to, let's hear a lot of you. Again, I, I see a lot of names I recognize, a lot of folks who want to come up who I haven't seen before. Enjoy getting to as many of you as we can. So let's see here. Uh, Beck A, what's going on? Hey, thank you for uh, taking uh, my, my request. I wanted to ask about Penn State. Well, um, you know, a few of my friends are big fans and we watched the game. The The offensive plan was, you know, 
was trash. They they could not get the run ball uh, run game going on the defense. They would give ten yard cushions every time. Um, really short passes across the field that would end up nowhere. Um, what do you think of Franklin? I mean, his record is atrocious. Um, you know, nothing really um, good came out of that game. All my friends are upset. I'm I'm upset. He's you know one and nine against Ohio State at Penn State. You know, he's zero and ten against top ten teams on the road. Three and sixteen against top ten. Period. I mean, he. It's a major program. They got resources. They got good players. Yet every time they choke in big games, it's like you know, like a clockwork. Yeah, that's got to be really painful. I mean, and especially this weekend. One of the, I mean, again, I know it doesn't thrill you, but one of the funnier jokes was, you know, UVA's head coach Tony Elliott now has more road top ten wins than uh, James Franklin does, but. (laughs) But, but go ahead and, uh, to the – oh, I still can't believe UNC. But anyway, but going back to Penn State, you know, part of this law – I mean, there's, there's so many layers to this, and uh, you hit on a lot of them because, you know, James Franklin right now – and everyone remembers when he, he came out of the loss and said, you know, Penn State is not yet elite. But this year, this year it seemed like Penn State had all the tools to, to compete at a hot, top level. And, you know, arguably – other than the, I mean, the offense really struck. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. The offense absolutely struggled against Ohio State at a level that was almost comical. But Ohio State's defense has also been exceptionally good. So it, it's, a, it's a weird one. I mean, we can in some way credit Penn State for also putting Iowa out of its initial misery. And then apparently Iowa imploded um, under controversial circumstances. But so Penn State, is, it's like. First, we'll see how they do against Michigan, and I, I will. Get, I think you, you have to give them all the way to that game to see if can they can they turn it around. Although, after that game, clearly the offense is going to need to improve. But the defense was good. I mean, part of the problem was Marvin Harrison's just that good. I, I, I think that's that's a lot of it. I mean, both offenses struggled a bit, but Marvin Harrison was so exceptional, by far the best person on that you know on the field in terms of the offensive player. That it just uh, Penn State didn't have anyone like that, and again, as we've talked about, that's frustrating because he's, of course, a, a product of the state. I think the defense of Penn State is still exceptional. I think the problem with James Franklin right now is it's hard to put him in the upper echelon of, of elite coaches because, yeah, he keeps losing those big games, as you said, and then the. Yeah. But part of again, it's it's so awkward because I don't know. Are we going to see a situation where? I mean, well, how would you feel as a fan if it ended up where we see, let's say, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say we have exactly what happened last year, where Ohio State, Michigan State, probably Michigan, end up in the in the college football playoff, and then Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl. Would that be okay for you as a fan, or would it still just be too too little? Well, I think, I mean, given what how they are in the offense, that that's fine. But you know, Diaz, Manny Diaz calls the defense plays, and maybe Franklin should stop play calling on the offense you know he's not good at it you know we we saw it year after year it's just there's nothing all his plays are so conservative in the whole season they had only one pass over 30 yards and i know like drew aller is new and whatever but you you have you played some smaller schools like they they beat beat up umass like 63-0 okay there's no explosive place there in the air at all i feel like they haven't practice nothing but runs and 
if that game doesn't show up, then games like this, like against Ohio State, every time, going to happen every time. And I am 90% sure Penn State is going to lose to Michigan. I think it'll be, it will definitely be a surprise if they manage to beat Michigan, but I wouldn't count it out for sure. But my goodness. And I, and I, yeah, I should clarify the Rose Bowl is a semifinal this year, so it wouldn't be the Rose Bowl, but whatever New Year's Six that, 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 uh, yeah. uh, that they would sub in for. But yeah, it's tough. We're going to, I would just caution the Penn State fans the season isn't over. That was a very close loss, although offensive didn't show up, you know, entirely, or did show up, but that Ohio State defense is just, because that's, I think the one thing we learned is Ohio State this, this season, they're, they're defined by that defense. I mean, this isn't having CJ Stroud. Or some, you know, superstar quarterback. This is, you know, an amazing, some amazing uh, uh, wide receivers. A good running back is unfortunately injured, and a, an absolutely astonishing defense. So maybe this is a being a little bit close. It's a little different uh, Ohio State team, but certainly one that uh, that may be exceptional. So it it doesn't help the loss all that much, Penn State fans. But keep playing. I mean, I would just see how the season works out. And then make that judgment from there. Because if that ends up being one of the maybe the only loss, that would be a great thing for them, I think. But but yeah, it it, it there some changes definitely need to happen um, for that to to, to turn around yeah. because certainly that offense did not. Deliver. Seems to be the pattern every year. It's hey, let's let's see until the end of the season. Well, my friends who are you know, over been fans, big fans for over twenty years, they, they they're you know, tired of Franklin. The only problem is his contract is an 80 million buyout. So they know it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. The big buyouts. And, and he's definitely one of the poster children of that. And without Mel getting a Mel Tucker situation, which I'm pretty sure he's way too smart to get himself into. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be an issue altogether, but Hey Beck, thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Let's hear Luca. What's going on? Hi, how are you? Patient. Good. How are not you? Not bad. Bob, right? Yeah, it's actually Bob Act, but yeah, Bob is fine. Bob I don't Act. mind. Bob is my Starbucks name. That's my yeah. joke. Uh, so I'm a uh, provisional voter in the uh, RCFP poll, and I'm, I'm relatively new to the process. I really started uh, started dealing with this this year, trying to figure out exactly how I'm supposed to do this. And I, it, I've repeatedly come up with the problem that well, I, I at least think it's an issue that my polls are too normal. Is there a way to so, fix that? <laughs> so you're saying like your, your polls end up being very close to the final it's poll. Like, I think my poll. highest, I, I, for a couple weeks I tried like a hybrid poll and it just didn't work as well as I wanted it to. So I went to full human, just me kind of making, and what I do is my process is, I have a whole stack of note cards with every team who I think should be ranked on it with their schedule and everything. And then I go sit in the common area of my dorm and put things in order as to what I think they should be. And it always seems to come out as something way too close to either the AP or what we have. And my like score is, I don't think has ever been higher than like two and a half. And I feel like I'm doing. So you something. want to be a complete outlier? I feel outlier? like I've been doing something wrong. Is what I'm trying to say. Am I? Is that a good? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so because your poll is is apparently matching. 
because I mean the AP poll is created out of consensus. And one of my one of my colleagues, Bakney Draco, he's the one who creates that that tweet that always gets around where he compiles all of the uh, the uh, AP voters um, ballots each week. So you want to be the most you want to be one of the ones. No, I, I, I don't I don't know whether it's a bad thing or not that it, it is being too normal. A bad thing is. being. Well, let me put it this way. If, if you if you feel like that makes sense, um, then, you know, I mean, I, I, I just defend what you're saying. I mean, I mean, defend your, your poll. Be proud of your poll. Yeah. I mean, you know, if now I get why some people because I always the ones that get really strange are the people that say get really locked into one team like so and so you know um no matter how badly they do and we're not at that point yet this season i don't think there is a team that falls into that but people who are like i think that only the team that won against team b should be at the top of the poll even if team b ends up being a complete joke of a season yeah so i mean i uh or just throwing in some weird like protest vote you know like i think if your if your poll seems normal you know or as close to that there's nothing wrong with that okay I mean, I, I don't I know thought, why. This is definitely an odd question. I might be the be first person but... ever to ask, "Why am I not?" Well, I that that's that's not true. Why am I not? Why am I too normal? Um, that might be a first in human history. But um, yeah, I, I I really have enjoyed doing my poll, and I I it gives it takes me an hour, hour and a half, and it's nice to kind of just sit and think that through. Uh, and and I've really enjoyed doing it, and my process i think works relatively well but <laughs> well i'm glad to hear it luke and i just have to i just have to note i don't actually have anything to do with the rcfb poll i uh we have somebody uh sir gippy who's been doing it forever he's been doing it for gosh over well over 10 years at this point i think they're on the 12th yeah. year 13, um, it's always fascinating because it's got it's got so many voters and yet with all the hundred i mean hundreds of voters yeah. but with all the voters the actual final poll is never all that different from the ap poll i mean the only differences have been on the things that I think were uh, to some extent, it ch- tends to trace uh, some of the bigger trends like Texas for one at one point had reached number I one, but Georgia had more first pl- one for a week. Well, it was a really funny poll because Texas was number one. And this is before, again, the Red River, the uh, week before rivalry, Red, uh, Red River. River. <laughs> yeah. And that was an interesting poll because Texas was number one, but Aga had from Georgia had more first place votes. Which was really striking, but it, that's what happened when you have so many voters that that kind of a, a weird situation could occur. But again, right now, I think Michigan's number one in that poll. But when you look at the poll as a whole, it's like one or two off of the, the AP poll. So it's, it's been a fascinating thing to see and how how fans who really do care, because these aren't just random people like there's a whole application. Process. Yeah. I don't vote. No, that I, I ever I, have. I, but uh, it, it's fascinating to see how people when they're actually asked to look at it. And they do their own modeling. Some are human, some are, are computer. They come up with remarkably a consensus that is is very close to what what the AP is. And actually, I've been corrected. Ohio State is number one this week. See, I, I that's how little I pay attention. No, I, I, know I it's, love doing it. It's been it, a bit of everything. Yeah, and I love doing but, it. I uh, just kind of like I don't know why I was like, is being too normal a bad thing? First time I've ever said that in my life. Um, but yeah, thank you for. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and let's see here. The next person, let's do Ronnie J. Um, and I'll try to get to everybody. Thank you so much for all of your patience. So many of you are, are, are in the queue, and I, I want to get to as many of you as I can. But Ronnie J., what's going on? 
What's going on with you? Hey, I'm good. But I mean, there's I can I'm actually trying to imagine what your question is going to what you're going to bring up because I can think of several topics of interest to you right now. I think we all know the big one right now, and that's Rutgers is going bowling this year. Yes. You were the first person I thought of. Oh, <laughs> when I, I saw so that Rutgers excited. one, I'm like, I, I really hope he calls in. Because this is this is this is a moment of celebration oh. for Rutgers fans and, and Greg Ciano proving himself um, before a murderer's row is probably gonna be an ugly way to end oh, the season. We are absolutely if we go 0 and four, I don't even care anymore now. Are you kidding me? Oh, we're going to a bowl game anyways. We can lose out. I don't care. Rest the starters for all I care. Absolutely. I, I can't blame that. Was, this, is, this is great. I mean, I mean, because Rutgers did exactly what you'd want Rutgers to do at this point. You know, the, as, as you know, Shiano's rebuilding the program on his second tenure. This is the fourth year there. And they've been climbing up fairly consistently. A little bit disappointing last year, but still climbing up. And then to beat the teams that are in the middle of the pack, you know, yeah, to beat Michigan State, to beat and the ones below you, so to beat Michigan State, to beat Indiana, to beat Northwestern, you know, beating teams like Temple and and a weak uh, Virginia Tech team. I think maybe they have a shot at. I, I'm not still not I, Iowa now is totally up for grabs. Is Iowa going to now buckle down and still kind of do that weird Iowa way of winning? I'm not sure, but yeah, obviously they've got Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland. Those are going to be a little tougher, but. You know, if they can get if they can get your win in any of those, you know that'll be just think, icing at this point. I think Rutgers. You're absolutely right, Rutgers fans. This is it. This is this is just this is a successful Rutgers season, and you have to I'm love not, that. You have to love you. any program that is like, you know, hell, we can just call the season now. Six wins, we did it. <laughs> we got we got. I got a group chat with like eight friends from college, and we're all just like, oh yeah, we're absolutely going to the ball game. We don't care. It, it could be the Vegas ball. We're we're flying out there. We're we're doing a whole trip for this. It I is so it. exciting. I've <laughs> never been to a ball game before. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, man, that is great. Yeah, it's, it's bowl games are fun. I mean, especially, you know, the, lo- the minor bowl games, they're, they're actually even more fun because it's like you just want to be there. And so you get this kind of the fans that go tend to be fans that are really hardcore, really into it or just want to. It's like a celebration. It's not quite the same level of intensity as as trying to get into the as, as trying to win the playoff or something like that. It's kind of uh, like yeah, it's just going to be a blast. Like I. I feel like I won't be too upset whether we if we lose and I won't and I'll be very happy if we win. But it's like a pointless game. I'm just going there with my friends to have a good fun time and watch a team that we love. I love it, man. Well, congrats to Rutgers and, and all Thanks. those fans out there that have been suffering for so long. That is just a great thing. It's great. I guess I do have a quick question though. Sure. Even if Rutgers loses out, I guess like depending on how how everything else breaks, could Greg Shiano still get coach of the uh, Big Ten coach of the year for six and six? I mean, just considering where expectations were for this team, I, I mean, the uh, media my, was the media was the, the athletic published an article. I mean, this year calling Rutgers a mistake. Oh, I remember that article. Yes, yeah. So, like, the part was incredibly low going into the season. <laughs> you know, I, I, they would certainly have a have some contention for that, but I could. Gosh, I'm not sure at this point. I'm not sure which team. I mean, I, I think. Quite frankly, Ryan Day and uh, uh, may have a, a good push for it too, only because of how different this Ohio State yeah. team has been to get where to where they are. But Rutgers absolutely would be one of the contenders if, just by the very fact of, of of seeing them go. If they start winning even a couple more games, then it, oh, absolutely. I think there's <laughs> a chance now. If we go seven and five though, and like beat Iowa, I feel like you know the chance is not terrible. Like there's a there's a decent chance. Yeah. Well, the good news is people actually have to 
respect Rutgers now. It isn't just oh, yeah. like, you know, you can't just treat them as, you know, a free right, win. Is, they're not Indiana anymore, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, man, well, I'm glad that I'm glad we could talk about that. Congrats on, congrats on the skylight. That's awesome. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Hey, let's see here next. I see a uh, sad Oklahoma state fan. Thanks for your patience. Hey, what's up? What's up? Hey, how are I'm you? Good, man. I'm good. So, uh, two questions. I just, I remember uh, a couple weeks ago I was in here and we had talked about the downfall of Oklahoma state. I just wanted to get your opinion on, um, the turnaround that Mike Gundy's done and also get your opinion on, uh, Ollie Gordon, the second, how potentially might be the best running back in college football right now. And, um, he didn't even really start getting the majority of the carries until, uh, game four. Well, I think again, my, my favorite thing I read about Mike Gundy, and I think it was just a comment somewhere. So he's like, does he just want to troll everybody by kind of making everyone think that like, okay, maybe they're struggling and then just kicking it in the gear and causing havoc in conference play because i know all of us thought well wow i guess they're they're simply not ready when south alabama came in and, and that was that was such a key moment in this whole discussion then obviously losing at iowa state and the the rotation of of quarterbacks that he was trying to do it just people were confused with what was going on at oklahoma state and then amazing you find yourself a quarterback you stick with one quarterback you find a good running game and suddenly Oklahoma State is absolutely a, a is potentially a terror now, um, and uh, you know it, it's it's fascinating too because now suddenly Bedlam is going to be a really interesting game. You know, I think a couple weeks ago we were like, oh man, this is going to get ugly when Oklahoma. I mean, maybe uh, granted, you know, it's a rivalry game. Even teams that have had a, a terrible season will suddenly come up and knock the other team out. But I'm really excited to see that game. Um, especially since it's going to be in Stillwater. I think that gives the Cowboys just that little extra edge. Um, and I'm excited to see how they do, because right now the Big 12 is actually shaping up to be a lot more difficult, potentially more more uh, hiccups than, than we're expected when it, early on this season it seemed like, okay, it's just going to be Texas and Oklahoma and the, uh, and the Seven Dwarves or however the rest, however many teams there are. But now, genuinely, it seems worrisome. Um, and it looks like either of those teams could lose to the middle of the pack. I mean, again, what we saw last week with Houston and UCF nearly unseating those two. At this point, I don't think there's any reason to think Oklahoma State couldn't potentially knock off. Uh, they, well, they get Oklahoma, but, you know, knock off, you know, Texas if they were to somehow meet them. But, you know, and, and maybe finish this season with only that one initial conference loss. You know, it, it seems anything is possible. And that makes it a really exciting Big 12 to see. They're they're probably the most... They am in the ACC. I mean, the Pac-12 too, actually, this is such a great season. The more I say it out, pardon me. I mean, all of these conferences, it's just, it's hard to find a clubhouse leader. I mean, there are some potential winners, but yeah, and I mean, the idea of OS, the idea of Oklahoma State going all the way and getting to a title game where they might play someone like a Texas is very intriguing. I don't know if it would happen, but boy, imagine that. That would be the ultimate shocker, wouldn't it? But Oklahoma State shocked people before, so... That teaches us never count out Gundy. Never count out Gundy. That that was like, I mean, you just can't. That that he taught us all a lesson. He taught me a lesson. Uh, I'm not. I'm, you, you can never count him out for sure. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah, no, it's the, the definitely. You know, playing the three quarterbacks was the biggest issue. Uh, it just seems like you know once we finally announced 
Alan Bowman as the starter. The offense has finally started to uh, shift into gear and get it going. And defense, every game is getting better and better. So, yeah, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get my hopes up and say Oklahoma State can make it to uh, the conference championship yet. I think we still have a couple question marks. But yes, I do agree. I, I was a firm believer a couple weeks ago. Like uh, this last bedlam um, is going to be an absolute shit show in favor of OU, but, uh, you know, and they still might win, who knows, but I think it'll be a much better game um, as of now if OSU keeps uh, keeping their foot on the on the gas and just keeps going. But I appreciate it, man. Thank you. No, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. And let's see here. Um, next up, I let up Sean Clemens. Would love to hear from you. What's going on? Hey, Bob. Uh, how's it going tonight? First time participant. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. We always love hearing from folks. Um, hey, I uh, I kind of want to. I'm a Wazoo fan. I want to shift gears out west here a little bit and um, <laughs> get your thoughts on USC. Actually, oh, um, okay. So I, I'm happy. Well, happy, happy well, to share a, thoughts on USC. I have two two main questions, I guess. But there is a lot going on with the uh, USC right now. First of all, uh, first question is Lincoln Riley has been having a hell of a time with the media this year. With the, he banned that journalist, I think, and then um, player availability was halted after last game. And mm-hmm. then, uh, secondly, do you think or how warm do you think Alex Grinch's seat is? Alan's, Alex Grinch's seat should be made of flames right now. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be wood anymore. Where he's literally sitting on flames that have somehow managed to become so dense that they're in danger of creating a fusion reaction that causes the entire planet to implode into the city of Los Angeles. But setting that aside, um, can you tell I have a passion about this? Cause that might, but, but you know, it's, it's interesting because first of all, yeah, the, the way he's handling the media in Los Angeles is a complete disaster. I, I absolutely, you, you don't get Los Angeles if that's how you're treating it. Cause that was actually kind of going back. Part of, you know, Sark's tenure as a head coach of USC ended obviously in kind of, you know, kind of a problematic way. But he was a good hire in the sense that when they had candidates, he was the one that was most ready to just jump into the Los Angeles market. The USC was famous for their recently retired sports information director who had been there for like, gosh, 20 years, 30 years. I'm actually undercutting that. He'd been in the part. He'd been in the department until he retired since 1978. So Tim Tessaloni. So USC was actually really famous for being the easiest program to talk to if you were like on the professional level. Penn State's known for that. Um, Ohio State's known for that. A lot of these top programs, they run their media, their sports media is just top notch. So to then go in there and and talk talk to the uh, to treat the media in a way. And as standoffish, I mean, first of all, you don't understand what it's like to be in the big ma- major media market. And it's funny because. You know, some people are like, oh, maybe Riley will, will just say, I'm tired of this and go to the NFL. Like, what on earth do you think the NFL is going to be like <laughs> You know, if you go there? So, I mean, that's a big problem the way he treated it. Now, uh, on a lighter note, or not a lighter note, actually, because I, I don't like making light about people having whatever issues they're having. He's apparently been dealing with some sickness. He's missed a couple of practices himself. Um, apparently from the, 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 from what some people are saying, he's been battling something for a lot longer ever since the Notre Dame game. But so he's been out. So they've actually got an acting head coach who is, uh, Dennis Simmons, the, uh, the wide receivers coach. Some people have joked that he should just go ahead and 
as acting head coach fire Alex Grinch, which I thought was actually really hilarious. Imagine, you know, uh, <laughs> the acting head coach like, all right, he's not here. Just you're out, you know, <laughs> take one for the team um, and land on that grenade. But meanwhile, because again, now they're technically down a coach um, because you're only allowed. Well, obviously, a lot of these well-funded programs, Alabama being one of the most famous and pioneering this, allow you to have a lot of, you know, analysts and things. Um, but you can only have so many actual people fulfilling coach roles in, in from the NCAA rules. So they have Cliff Kingsbury. So apparently right now they're uh, they're working with their compliance department to make Cliff Kingsbury an acting assistant in Riley's absence, which uh, one of the things if, if you're a fan of RCFB, the website, the, some of the commentary is hilarious. There's a there's a user who is a Notre Dame Vandy fan, Commodore Irish who joked that Kingsbury will declare martial law, arrest all USC beat writers, and his soldiers will seize the football facilities while Riley and his family will be under arrest and Caleb Williams has not declared support. Um, he then followed up because somebody said, like, well, what happens to Alex Grinch? Is he alive? Is he safe? You know, reports are Grinch is holed up in his office with the remaining Lincoln loyalists, but his defense is subpar and doomed. So on a lighter note, sorry, I just had a that that's one of those comments I read this week. I just had to share it because honestly, one of the funniest, one of the funniest uh, comments uh, on a really odd situation, because right now USC has to toughen up. They have they have talent. That's the frustrating thing. They've regressed to. And I mean, I went to USC in the 90s. This was actually uh, they were flailing around in that decade as well, um, arguably with lower expectations in what we are seeing with them now. But it reminds me of one of the one of the comments made in the LA Times that I, I still it stuck with me then, it sticks with me now, because other teams run into this as well. All talent, no results. And that's that's the danger USC is in right now. It's like you have all this talent and it's just not being used and, and implemented correctly because they have some stars on defense in terms of talent. It's not quite maybe where they would like it to be, but they should be doing better than they are now. It shouldn't be that when Caleb Williams scores that touchdown uh, to go ahead of Utah, that the moment the ball goes back to Utah, no one is no one's really surprised that Utah was able to make it and score the game-winning field goal. I don't think anyone was shocked by that. That's the problem. I mean, no one was surprised by it. It was kind of like the inverse of when the Iowa game, uh, the the uh, the fair catch. They they decided it was a fair catch, which negated the punt return for a touchdown. And everyone in that stadium knew that Iowa was never going to be able to then score on that final drive. So, I mean, it's like it's the version of that, except the, the USA defense. It's like if you give any team more than a minute. Oh, crap. Yeah, they're going to collapse. They're just not going to be able to to have the, the tenacity and the toughness it takes. So I I personally think it's a toughness. It's, it's a coaching issue. Um, I think they have the talent to make it work. I think their offense can certainly score, but. It just seems like everything's kind of listing right now, and I'm not sure what to make of it. But I, I, I kind of elaborated quite heavily on that. But that was that was a question that definitely teed up some some of my uh, bubbling thoughts. And and right now, obviously, I think USC is absolutely out of the playoff race, 100. percent So right now, it's just like, can they get it together? Because although they've lost two in a row, Notre Dame isn't part of the conference, so they're still in the conference race. So they could theoretically, you know, compete for the Pac-12, but at this point, they would be like a spoiler team. You know, they would they they're winning just to bring down the whole conference with them, which, you know, if, if you're <laughs> I could see some fans of, of the team thinking that way. But I mean, at this point, it's certainly 
Washington and Oregon's to lose, it seems. I mean, there's still some outlying chances from a few other teams, but um, USC is going to play Washington and Oregon later this season, so uh, we'll see real quick if they have any shot. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if the wheels came off a little bit more um, and we see a team with at least three or four regular season losses at this point. So that's my thought. Um, you know, Alex Grinch was on uh, Mike Leach's. Uh, he was Mike Leach's defensive coordinator. Yes, Washington that's, State. I swear that's that's he's still he's still basically his entire career is built off of what people thought he did at Washington State. And in there, was it really just was it Hercules? I forgot the guys. Was it Hercules? Um, yeah, I'm top. Yeah, it was it. I mean, are we crediting him for have for just having such a star defensive player or two on his? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. Is Roy Manning on that staff? Oh, gosh, off the top of my head. Um, I don't remember, and I apologize. I don't have all the staffs in my head right up. <laughs> I just thought I saw him on uh, TV the last game, but I may be mistaken. But anyway, I don't want to take up too much time. I appreciate you taking my question. No, absolutely. Thank you. That was that was a, that was a fun one, and I was happy to to yeah, yeah I was happy to, to unload off my own my own demons on that particular question. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Hey, John, I know you have a thought. I'm going to let up ski masks Murphy while I'm at it. Yeah, hey, um, just regarding USC, do you think they shut? I mean, does do you think Caleb Williams shuts it down for the year? I mean, it's not really like not really much to play for in his and on on his behalf. I mean, he's no Heisman to play for, no national championship. Do you do you think he shuts it down? I mean, I would be. He, we got to remember, a lot of these guys are competitors. I mean, no matter who they are, the the reason they're so good at the game is because they love it and they just want to prove themselves. Now. If he did that, that would be. But at the same time, you know, we know he's made that kind of. It's been said he wants to have some kind of stake in whatever NFL team takes him. So who knows? I mean, I think a lot of players are trying to test the waters of how sophisticated they can be, um, how much they can get. I, I'm not gonna to put too much aspiration on it because I mean, now we're, we're they're starting to see while they're in college some of the value they were already bringing to the team arrive in their pocket through NIL and through some of these other arrangements, but. I that would be he's I mean, gosh, I, I I would be a little surprised, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's completely out of out of line to to see to see a player do that. But the player that does that will also have to know that how bad will that look, you know, to a potential NFL program if you do that. I mean that it would it would look strange as well. I mean I think he's going to still try. It just may be fruitless if if the whole team starts to kind of lose motivation. Um, I do have to credit. I love Kyle Whittingham and that quote. I don't know if you guys heard it because at the end of the game, you know, he's like, they've got a Heisman trophy winner at quarterback. So they're going to make some things. And that's just the way it is. But we've got ourselves a pig farmer at quarterback. So we're proud of that guy, too. And yeah, everyone automatically uh, went back and <laughs> and checked to see uh, uh, Bryson Barnes background and his his CV on like the bottom line of his uh of his uh, uh, page on the Utah roster is, yeah, no, his family does have 12,000 pigs. And, uh, you know, he's an Eagle Scout apparently too. I learned that as well. All I thought of, and, and I know everyone's looking, oh, pig farmer, haha, cute farm. You know, I immediately thought of the movie Snatch, which is one of my favorite kind of 90s flicks because Bricktop is, gives us the speech, the villain about talking about, you know, you can't trust a person with a pig farm because... Pigs can devour corpses like in no time. So I'm like, you know, I'm not messing with 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 uh, uh, Bryson Barnes at all because he's he's they've got a pig farm and 
they can apparently pigs can eat a body really easily. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. You're awesome, Bryson. You know, I love you. No, 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 no critique from me. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, let's see here. Ski mask Smurfy, what's going on? Well, good night, watching Tuesday night football. But first thing I wanted to say was, um, I know everyone's saying the Pac-12 is, you know, Washington Oregon's to lose, but everyone's pretending like. Utah doesn't have one loss and it's to Oregon State and they haven't won the Pac-12 the last two seasons. I, I think they're going to win it again as, as it seems they always somehow figure out how to do. You know, I, I love that you brought this up because this is actually, you know, um, I, I'm working now on this other podcast uh, with uh, uh, Shehan Jeharaja for uh, Advanced Media about college football playoff and trying to figure out who are the real contenders. Utah is in my like could make it. I'm not entirely convinced because of Cam Rising is now out. It's definitely out for the whole season, and they've got a couple of other star players that are out. So if they were at full strength, I'd be more likely. But are they going to be the kind of weird, the Iowa-ish team that kind of unexpectedly, not all with everything working out, but with just stellar defense and tenacity, manages to win out? I, I, they are still out there, but it's just, excuse me, without Rising. It's still a little tough to entirely go though. And then, of course, you know they they converted their safety to running back, and he just was all over USC. Vaki, he was unreal. So the entire Utah story is just is unique. They're in the back of my head. Is like, could, could they do it? They could, but it's just such a weird. Right now, they're being slapped together as they go along. So we'll see how they do with Oregon. Oregon's heading over there this weekend. It's a huge game. If they manage to upset Oregon, then I think we're going to start hearing about them a whole lot more. Um, and then they'll get their chance to prove themselves against Washington as well um, before, you know, and, and those Arizona teams. Those Arizona teams, we cannot look past them. I mean, Washington, I <laughs> we stay up late here, and I was one of the folks that was up late, just could not believe what was going on with the Arizona State-Washington game where, you know, Penix, he had probably his down game, and luckily for him, the Washington defense bailed him out. So... You know, I'm not sure. The Arizona schools are also on Utah's schedule. It'll be interesting to see. One of my favorite comments I've read, and it's come up from several sources, is maybe Utah should also join the Big Ten just to spite USC, and they would fit in with everybody else, um, or at least most of the Big Ten West. They would just be a natural member of the Big Ten West. But um, I don't know. That That's some of my thoughts on that. But... <laughs> Oh goodness! So what else, well, Ski Master Murphy? I know, I know. I think you just wanted to jump into the end of that, but I know you probably had some other thoughts you wanted to. And by the way, Blake, before I forget, I know you're in the queue, but I also wanted to acknowledge the fact that you pointed out that New Mexico State technically needs seven wins for bowl eligibility because they were willing to do the Hawaii game. So the Hawaii rule, they played at Hawaii to get a thirteenth game. If you play thirteen games, it isn't six games to bowl eligibility; it's seven. And they got their six today, so they're six and three. So. I still think it's quite feasible that they uh, they might be able to uh, to get bowl eligibility. And Liberty has won, and New Mexico State has won tonight. Wow, New Mexico State's their first four game winning streak since two thousand two. But uh, good good for both of those teams. It's great to see that. But sorry about that. Go ahead, uh, Ski Mask Murphy. Oh, the main thing I wanted to say is listening to everyone talk tonight. You know, the rest of these Big Ten teams, you fans out here, you guys are adorable. It's, it's so adorable because you guys don't understand. Your fate's already sealed. It's already sealed. Oh, Penn State seems like we play good against Ohio State. means nothing. Ohio State, yeah, we beat a ranked team. It means nothing to me. 
Rutgers, congratulations on going bowling. It means nothing. We at Michigan, we have all your plays. We know all of your calls. Your face is filled. It's already over. I don't know who made the call in from the Big Ten to stop the great evil that was about to take us all and called that punt return a fair catch that saved us from the horrible thing that would have been Iowa taking us over. Now your face is sealed. It's Michigan. It's the maize and blue. It's about to run wild on you, and it's over. We have your play. We know when you say Ricky Ticky Tabby, we know you're running a double reverse triple pass and throwing it back to your quarterback to run to the end zone for a screen. It's over. We know everything. You can't do anything. It's over. <laughs> so we're going to see villain Michigan now show up. They're just going to, they're going to just, this is going to lean into this and, and uh, go full on WWE villain in all of this. You know, I, I think that would be hilarious because for that moment, where uh, where Ryan Day almost sounded like a, uh, he was cutting a WWE uh, kind of uh, promo when he was getting mad at Lou Holtz right after the game uh, in Notre Dame. I mean, I, that made me think like, oh, I hope we get a, a team that wants to be a villain. So maybe maybe that's Michigan's turn. Just lean into it. I mean, hell, I'm a USC. I, I went to USC. USC will never be the good guy in any situation. So like, I always tell other USC fans like, they're just leaning into being the villain. It's all we can do at this point. Um, or being a Miami fan, like Miami's also in that zone. I mean, Miami. When Miami gets good, they kind of end up becoming a villain. They don't want to necessarily be a villain. It's just their natural kind of role in the college football universe. But um, boy, that would be a heck of a thing. And all I gotta say is. I was talking to, you know, right before the show, we were, you know, I, we have a, one of our folks here who's uh, following San Diego State. Uh, we're talking about G5 disappointments. I'm Brady Hoke has got to have one of the hottest seats right now because not only did they snap a 16-game losing streak of their opponent, pardon me, Nevada came in, 16-game losing streak. They were blown out by FCS Idaho earlier this season, and they, they beat San Diego State with two field goals. It was 6-0. That is a team bottoming out. So my thought to him was, because he's he's also follows Michigan, and he wanted to talk Michigan, and I could now see if he's in the queue. I thought the next San Diego State head coach should be Connor Stallion. I thought that would have been the most hilarious way to merge all of these stories. Just have him end up as the head coach of a G5 team, because he's clearly been able to get everyone's college football attention in, in just a matter of a week. So why not give him a program? Let's see what happens. Um, you know, I let you up really quick because I wanted to let you have a comment on that, uh, Waterboy, because I know I'm, I'm absolutely borrowing what we just talked about right before the show. Well, I missed a little bit what you said on the uh, like the lead in on the mute, but I too am mad at Michigan. I'm mad at Michigan because they sent Brady Hoke back to us. Man, we <laughs> Nevada hadn't won in two years. They were like ranked almost last in uh, in defense, and at home we get shut out and lose six to nothing, and then. When I talk to uh, the locals, some of the boosters, the people at the, the athletic department, I find out like his contract's through 2026, through the 2026 season, and the school is too poor to buy him out. So we're going to have him for a few more years. Oh, man. You know, and San Diego State truly had one of the worst off seasons only because Think about it. In July, at the beginning of July, they were in the middle of that weird discussion with the Mountain West because they said they might be leaving and the Mountain West said, fine, you're leaving. And we're going to leave. They're going to join the Pac-12. They're going to suddenly be a a P5 team. Everything's going to be great. And then by the end of August, everything had collapsed. And they had uh, the team is just not looking great. Brady Hoke's style of football isn't exciting. They have a beautiful new stadium, Snapdragon. That nobody goes to. Because A, the team, but B, they've got it priced like it's uh, a USC game. 
<laughs> oh man! <laughs> and you pay USC prices and get to watch a, a six-zero. Lost in Nevada. Yeah. Great. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Yeah, it's tough. It's absolutely tough. I'm glad we could get you up here for that. <laughs> me, me hey, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ronnie J. I know you wanted to add something real quick, and I'm going to let some other folks up in a second. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if you remember, but earlier in the offseason, I'm moving to San Diego. So I was talking about, I was like, oh, yeah, when I'm down there, if they're in the Pac-12, I'll go get a season ticket. How expensive could it be? Now, with how everything turned around for him, there's no shot I'm going to one of these games. Oh, you got to go out of sick curiosity. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, as a, as a sicko, so to speak, you know, you go in that direction. But uh... <laughs> I mean, it's got to be real. It's got to be real bad. It's got to be like Hawaii versus San Diego State bad for that. Yeah, but you know, San Diego's great. And but but quite frankly, you're gonna probably run into the classic San Diego mindset where it's like this weather's great. I don't want to do anything. I just want to hang out. Um, have, have a few beers and watch a sport game. I exactly. Guess so. You know, Maybe. this is this is just enjoy <laughs> that weather, man. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's see here. Next up, let's go ahead and let up to here. Uh Johnny. We'll let up Johnny next. And then I'll try to get to as many of you as we can. There's about several others after that, but again, I'll I'll try and fit in as many of you as I can. It looks like Johnny. Unfortunately, it looks like it dropped him. Uh, sometimes that happens. So let's go ahead and uh, let's see here. Let's let up uh, J. Rue say our less. Um, let's see if that even works. Hopefully, you'll be able to get up here. And as soon as you do, just go ahead and hit unmute. We'd be happy to uh, to talk to you. Looks like that's giving me the circle of connecting, connecting, connecting. Who knows? And I see Johnny came back up, so I'm going to try and let him up again. Um, hopefully, we can get you up here as well. Oh, hey, Johnny, looks like I got you up here. Just go ahead and hit unmute. We'd be happy to talk to you. Okay, so y'all can hear me, right? Sure can. I'm a Texas fan. Um, and so far, how the season's gone for me because, like, um, long story short, I just graduated from high school. I'm doing juco and i want to transfer not well not juco as a sport but i want to transfer to ut austin and so i actually started watching more college football i consider myself a new fan um with texas since quinn ewers is out how do you predict that the rest of our i think we're going to be okay with malik murphy i've gotten to arguments with people i believe that we should not start archie manning what's your opinion on the thing I'm I'm actually leaning in your direction. I think Malik Murphy is going to be fine. All the word on him is he is absolutely just he's physically imposing. He can he can do he can he can make passes. I mean, they didn't want to obviously throw too much at him at the end of that incredibly close Houston game, but uh, that unexpectedly got close at the end. Yeah. But I I do get why they wouldn't want to start Arch Manning. I mean, they get what you get four games where you're allowed to still play them before the redshirt rule. Uh, before you burn the redshirt, which is actually a wonderful thing. It used to just be any play, you burn the redshirt, which was always a, a real stressor for coaches. But um, I think, I think, and again, we, we're not sure entirely how long uh, yours is going to be out. I know they said it's week to week at this point. You know, it's a shoulder thing, so that's always tricky with a quarterback. But I think they're going to definitely try and stick with Murphy for a while uh, to see how long. They, I mean, I think they're going to allow him to the opportunity to show why he was such a big recruit because he was one of Sark's earliest recruits and one of his big victories. And I think um, he's been overshadowed by both that the viewers and, and Manning who are both highly recruited quarterbacks, but he should have that ability. And it seems like, especially with the talent around him, you know, you've got Xavier Worthy, you've got a great running game. You've got Texas has enough where changing quarterbacks for them does not feel 
quite as alarming as some of the programs where the quarterback literally is the entire program. Like if Penix went down, I'd be really worried about Washington. Um, if Jordan Travis, Florida State, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, oh gosh, um, LSU's, uh, uh, um, sorry, Jaden Daniels, like those are some quarterbacks who would be a little more worried if they were suddenly having to get replaced. And I hope no one gets injured in the sport for the record. But so uh, I, I think Texas has enough on its roster to, to, to keep it in. Um, again, they've got some just some just stars on that program. So and Baxter really stepped up, you know, as as a as another one of the running backs to give Jonathan Brooks. CJ Baxter being a five star absolutely showed what he has capable of in that game. You know, Ski Mask uh, Smurphy, pardon me. Ah, uh, yeah, Ski Mask Smurphy, pardon me. I think I was talking so much about Malik Murphy that my brain suddenly crossed paths, and I'm like Ski Mask Murphy. Um, I know you wanted to add something to this. I would be hesitant if Texas puts in Archie Manning. I I do not believe in him. From all from all of his high school highlights, it looked like his team was playing up for the middle schoolers, and knowing the way that um the private school state team private school teams function in in state football programs versus public schools, I don't think he's that good. Nor I had to check it a while ago. Like it looks like he didn't even hit any of like the major or common um, camps that, you know, the top, like, quarterbacks hit during, like, that circuit of, like, Elite 11, Spark, Nike Summit, and all of those. He only went to the Manning passing camp. I don't I don't think he's going to be the guy, because if he was, he they wouldn't have Malik Murphy in. So don't get your hopes up on that. If they do that, cancel the season. Wow. That's, that's a strong, that's a strong position on that one. I, I'll, I'll give the man. I'll give the man the credit and and assume that he can do it. But of course, you know we'll we'll see. I mean, sometimes guys seem to have everything going, and then you put them in a tough game and they can't quite deliver. I mean, not to not to pick on Drew Aller, but that's that's what it felt like just this past weekend with Ohio State. He was the higher ranked quarterback. You know, everyone was expecting, especially after Sean Clifford. People were patiently waiting for Drew Aller. They thought he was he did well before you know heading into that game, and then just like the entire offense laid an egg. Um, in the horseshoe, but uh, Johnny, I know you wanted to add something more to this. Well, it's it's kind of another question because since I'm, I'm still new to college football, I see everyone making fun of any time because this was after Texas lost to Oklahoma, which that, I knew that was a huge game. What's the joke with te- everyone saying Texas isn't back? Or when Texas, I know I was happy when Texas beat Alabama, and everyone's like, "Oh, Texas is back! Texas is back!" Can someone explain that? <laughs> <laughs> so okay so why is why is texas back a thing you know i gosh i almost forget when that meme began is it's almost like uh, the more years that pass the more timeless it seems i think part of the reason is texas historically and even before mac brown you know had that incredible run and they won the national championship uh texas has been a program classically that is a blue blood that even in in years where maybe they didn't deserve it would end up ranked in the preseason, um, and everyone was sort of waiting to see Texas be this this Goliath. Even in years where Texas would struggle, have a you know a piddling record, maybe make a minor bowl or even get a losing record, Texas was always getting a bit of a of a of a sort of a benefit of the doubt, uh, especially in the preseason. And then in those early games, especially after a down season the year before. Texas would maybe have a good non-conference start and and maybe defeat a team that seemed like it was stronger at the time, and then everyone would would yell Texas is back. 
um, because there was a sort of and it became kind of a I think it originated with a certain level of, of genuineness and earnestness to it. But over time, it sort of became kind of a bit of a, a, a joke that anytime Texas has any kind of success, Texas is back. Um, and I think maybe it's part of just the rhyme and rhythm of how those words sound together. Um, it, it's funnier to say Texas is back than Oklahoma is back or USC is back. There's just something about the way Texas is back sounds. Um, and I know, oh, and actually, you know, I'm going to credit uh, some one of our good friends here in the back of RCFB who, who sent me this. It, it goes back to Sports Center in 2016. I will stand corrected there. But Texas is back, folks was a tweet by SportsCenter, um, the ESPN SportsCenter account, after Texas beat Notre Dame in 2016 in the opener. Um, that was when it began. I stand corrected on that, although I'm pretty sure I'd heard it before. I mean, everyone really wanted Texas to be, uh, and that was obviously a quote from uh, one of the announcers saying it. And as we can recall, 2016 Texas <laughs> went 5-7. and seven. So... Sometimes, again, that, that became kind of a mock thing. Like, oh, wow, Texas is back. They upset number 10 Notre Dame. And then they go on to absolutely have a mediocre season. And that Notre Dame team finished 4-8. and eight. So that's, a, that's, again, the summary of it all. Like a great non-conference game or a big game. And then is Texas back? No, they're not. And that has sort of become a running gag for the program. It's so funny. You made me feel so old just now. Because 2016 was apparently long enough. It makes sense. Like, I'm doing the math in my head. I realize how many years ago that was. But eventually, you two will be my age. And someone will say, I don't remember something. And you're like, that feels like it wasn't that long ago. Um, but uh, time slips by. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, man. It was great talking to you. All right. Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and add Blake. You've been super patient, Blake. What is going on? So Blake, whenever you get a chance, just go ahead and hit unmute. There you go. I don't. I don't mean to talk about Penn State a lot. We already talked about Penn State earlier, but I want to pose a question to some Penn State fans. Um, are you guys okay being just 10, 11 wins every year? I mean, I know the Big Ten's going away from the divisions and they're adding more teams, but even just look at Penn State's schedule next year. I mean, there's Washington, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I think they'll be better next year. I don't see Penn State being better than, I don't know, 10 and 2 next year, too. And uh, the, I was going to say, James Franklin, I don't know. It, even with Drew Aller, and I thought Drew Aller just, he wasn't even put in a good spot. I mean, you only run the ball 20 times against Ohio State's defense at the shoe. I mean, what do you think? They were getting no traction with that running game, though. That running game got shut down by by Ohio State. And I mean, to an extent, I think, again, the I have to give Penn State credit. Their defense was strong. It just uh, – Ohio State had a couple of bigger playmakers um, that were able to just eke out that that win. But, yeah, no, that was that was stunning because, again, uh, uh, Singleton and Catron Allen were just absolutely shut down. They were, they were two of the best running back duos uh, – one of the best running back duos in the country, and they could get nothing going. Um, and they were absolutely terrorizing Aller in the backfield because they got him sacked him, what, four times? I mean, he'd been sacked four times in the previous six games. So that Ohio State defense was all over them. And I, you know, you brought up, though, the bigger question, the, the James Franklin thing. And this has been nagging him for all this time he's been at Penn State because, I mean, he's been there now for what, 10, this is his 10th season. And it's always felt like they're just, they're just a little bit shy of being 
the very elite team? Like, are they just under elite? Are they where? Where do you find them? You know, the word elite kind of gets has been overkill just a little bit. But for the amount of money they're paying him, for the massive buyout he has, for the amount they they were willing to throw at him, and the success they thought he would be for them, it just feels like Penn State's good. They're a good team, but they're never quite able to break through, and they've had some, you know, awkward seasons there. I mean, that seven and six season just a couple of years ago, the Rose Bowl was a good step in the right direction. Getting there, that was a nice, that was a nice thing. I know how big that is for, uh, you know, Penn State enjoys going to the Rose Bowl, but they want something more. They want to go to that next level, and it, it it's tough. I mean, I'm not sure why. I'm not. Sh- I I still can't. Is he just is he getting out coached? That might be it. Um, is his offense maybe he should hand off perhaps the duties of uh, calling his you know calling his offense? I mean he's an offensive man of mind. That was his background before he took over his first position as head coach of Bandy. I mean, is he should he switch more to being the CEO model because he certainly seems to be good at that. Um, whenever he says you know we need stuff at. Penn State, we need better facilities. We need more money for this. We need more money for that. The, the alumni give it to him. The boosters give it to him. He just It's just getting something on the field is what's difficult. And and does he need to maybe hand some of that off? I'm not sure. You know, it reminds me, is there some analogy to be made, except he's more successful, it feels, than Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Although Jimbo won the national championship at Florida State. So you always see, you can kind of see these two programs that have head coaches that they pay a ton of money to, and they're just absolutely disappointed. Both of them have extremely high buyouts, but of course, Texas money is crazy money in a good way. I mean that I mean that with uh, with uh, with some compliment. But So they'd be willing to, it sounds like they're willing and happy to buy, uh, buy Jimbo out if it keeps looking the way it's looking down there in uh, college station but um yeah I, i'm not sure where what penn state fans are going to do i think they, they're just having to be patient and and hope maybe next year but i'm going to just caution that given the rest of the season who knows maybe they can maybe they can turn it around that offense will get going and they'll they'll surprise people down the stretch but uh, i'm not speaking of um, comparison just real quick i'm mm-hmm. sorry no no please sorry uh speaking of comparison i was thinking of a really good one is bo Pelini at nebraska i mean nebraska bo was like Perennial nine, nine and four, day, yeah, and they fired him, and so and you know Nebraska just, well, thankfully you know, knock on wood, Matt rules good, but what if Penn State's in the same situation and they just after this contract of James Franklin, what do you you know, what if? Oh yeah, that's I I oh I agree with you that that's always the big fear. What if you end up bringing because USC has had that problem for many years, and now Lincoln Riley's. We'll see how if he can turn it around. But I mean, USC's classic after Pete Carroll left, never quite seemed to be able to catch lightning in a bottle again. It just was kind of a, a clunker after a clunker. So sometimes it happens. Um, gosh, just look at Michigan. Uh, you know, Harbaugh's finally getting them to somewhere where they look stellar. But I, I think anyone remembers. Um, oh my gosh, what was uh, what was the? Uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the longtime coach that I. Uh, Jim Beckler? No. No, um, no, 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 no. Um, oh wait, I'm gonna look it up. Um, Lloyd Carr. Yes, Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Carr. My goodness. I mean, I remember how frustrated they were getting with Lloyd Carr towards the end. And what do they do? They get Rich Rod, and then you get just a complete, you know. 
Brady Hoke. It was we we all watched that 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 series of head coaches and people were like, oh my gosh, is this turning into what Nebraska? Because Nebraska's whole story, I mean, they they the way they uh, Solich got, I thought a raw deal at Nebraska because you, you follow a legend. He was winning consistently. He was getting Nebraska. It just Nebraska wasn't always contending for the BCS national championship, and that was a problem. And they let him go after a, like a nine win season and and. It just seemed like they went through a series of disastrous head coaches that hopefully has we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, I also think Matt Rule is the right person for that program, and they seem to be doing all right with this first season after some kind of awkward initial games. But um, yeah, we'll see because Nebraska is. I think you're right. The, Nebraska is absolutely the poster child for you know swapping it out. But of course, to an extent, James Franklin, by all accounts, has absolutely over these 10 years built something at least on on that campus that can support a national championship caliber team i mean all the facilities all the things they have going there are now at a level that should allow them to be elite the question is is he the coach to to make that happen and and that there is definitely some open debate on that um let's see here i want to allow a couple more people up before we slowly wrap this up because this has been going on pretty long but i don't mind it's fine um, this is our CFB Talk 163. My name is Bob Akhairi. Let's see who else here. I'm trying to let up a schooner is a boat, but it looks like I've got the connecting circle going around in circles. So I'm going to let up Coastal fans. Um, let's let up Coastal fans, and we'll see if we can get him up here. And I see John. I'll let you up as well as soon as I get done uh, with the next. But Coastal fans, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, first-time listener and first-time participant. So great to talk this evening. Um and with all due respect to the last uh, speaker that said Matt Rule is good, as a Carolina Panthers fan, I highly beg to differ with that statement. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to talk a little bit about everybody's favorite penalty, um, targeting. Um, I'm not sure if anybody – I'm sure a lot of USC and Utah fans are well aware of targeting after the penalty that happened in their game this past weekend. Oh, yeah. But um, not sure if a lot of people saw that uh, Coastal Carolina's quarterback, Grayson McCall, got just absolutely obliterated on a hit by um, Arkansas State's Travion Thomas um, in our game with them this past weekend. And it was not called targeting. Um, And if you go back and watch the hit, you can tell as soon as Grayson was hit, he was out immediately when he was hit. He was down on the field um, so long that ESPN just, they popped in for like 30 seconds to say, hey, he's still down. And then they just went back to commercial. And it was was kind of scary uh, to watch him laying there, not moving for a while. And now we're seeing tweets from like our university president um, and other officials saying, we just hope he makes a full recovery. So his season might be done. And that hit was just flagged as a 15 yards unsportsmanlike, la-di-da, go about your business. Yeah. So how, how, how can we, how can the NCAA fix targeting and make it more consistent where hits like the one in the USC Utah game that I don't really think was targeting aren't called targeting. Yeah, that was targeting. a controversial one because it, yeah, yeah. And then hits like ours where our, you know, three-time conference player of the year quarterback is probably done for the year at this point. Those get called. Yeah, this has been, McCall is an amazing quarterback and it's, it, I didn't realize that's how he got knocked out. I did hear that he was injured in that game, um, which is absolutely just a devastating thing, both for Coastal, but college football and obviously for the young man himself. Because I, I, again, I, I hope he uh, I hope he has a full recovery, and I know he was in an Arkansas hospital after that game. But um, the, the question of of how to 
adjust targeting is is so the problem is it is somewhat subjective. A lot of it is one of those those safety rules that that has a subjective factor to it, which can be problematic when implemented on the field. I mean, we hell we saw that yeah on a non I mean on an equally controversial play, but not a violent play. The uh, the Iowa State you know fair catch thing like that was an open interpretation of a of a young man's um, hand gestures and acting like not acting but like how he performed. His, he was a little too animated when he was uh, pointing to things on his players, and then the uh, the, the referee thought it was a uh, a fair catch on review, which we'll set aside that. But going back to, to targeting, that's a problem because I mean, with Bear Alexander's uh, uh, targeting penalty of uh, as a USC player against Utah, you know, the call was like, well, it looked like he was trying to pull out. It didn't look like it, he was actually targeting. It just their their masks touched, or you know. That's problematic, but at the same time, you get it because you're trying to avoid the gray areas. But then when they miss calls, it, you know, there have, I guess, after the fact, calling it targeting, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess it would be a, some benefit, I mean, in, in penalizing the player perhaps not to play um, maybe a half of the next game. But of course, the in game, I mean, the 15 yards would have been 15 yards one way or the other. But the fact that he didn't call it targeting is, is troubling, especially when there is such a major injury. Hey, Ski Master Murphy, I see your hand up. Did you want to add something to this? Yeah, I was going to say the Utah-USC one is a little bit, you know, one of those weird interpretations because he was airborne. And that is always, like, one of the big things is, like, if you make contact to the head area and you and you jump, that, that almost always makes it happen. But, yeah, I saw the coastal one that he was talking about with Grayson McCall because – Basically, in my thread of friends, basically someone was saying, you know, basically comparing it to the time, I guess, uh, who is it, Pico Alonso for the Dolphins knocked out um, Joe Flacco. And, you know, you think, like, those will be called and, like, a little bit more um, more reprimanded after since the whole um, Kenny Pickett rule where they made, you know, once your body starts going down, you've initiated a slide immediately. Once oh yeah, I just and, I'm watching yeah. it right now, and that he was absolutely already in a slide. That's no doubt. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he he basically aimed for he saw him slide and basically aimed for where his hips would be at, and like just took his head off. Yeah, yeah. it's it's one yeah. of those things that also fans, you're right. It, it's one of those things that should have been like immediate. You know, it's it, I'll just say this much only because one of the things, and it was an interesting analysis I read years ago. We always have to be a little careful when we're seeing like slow mo because we're seeing things at a speed people don't think at. So the guy may have had a moment where he's like, I'm going to make this tackle. I'm going to make this tackle. And the guy slides and then the guy's not even thought I should adjust now. But I'm that I'm not saying that's what he was thinking. It could have been malicious. It looks brutal um, looking at that particular hit. Coastal fans, I know you wanted to add something. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that that particular player that, um, performed the hit um, actually was flagged two times last season for targeting. Um, I believe it was against uh, ULM and Troy in those two games, those two Arkansas state games. So I don't know if, you know, they need to increase penalties. I know if you get flagged for targeting, like I think it's like three times in a season, you, you, you get some pretty hefty suspensions or something, but I don't know if maybe they need to think about like over the, the life of your career. I don't know what they do, but I'm just shocked that the Sunbelt Conference to this day has not come out and said, you know, hey, yeah, this really should have been targeting. We've reprimanded the refs, something like that. 
they've said nothing. They're they're completely silent on it. And it just sickens me that they want to talk about player safety and they allow stuff like that to happen. Yeah, that is absolutely interesting because being reviewed, that should have been reviewed for targeting and it should have been an easy call. Well, hey, thanks for bringing that one up. That That's a that's a shame of a play. And Grayson McCall is such an amazing player. I hope he gets better and, and can uh, can find some success beyond just college football. And I hope he, he does because he's an absolute delight for the sport. Um, let's see here. I want to go ahead and let up the last person in the queue as I slowly wrap this up. But I do want to allow him because he's been super patient. Um, and watch, it's not going to connect him. Just just watch. This is always how it ends up. Um, but we'll, we'll see if John gets up to the stage. And I'll let him talk. You know, as I'm wrapping this up slowly, I want to make sure we got everything here. There was so many topics this week. Obviously, we only lightly talked on Connor Stallions. And, you know, I think that's appropriate because that story is developing. I'm not sure how far it's going to go. I just want to caution We've seen so many of these things where it ends up being minor. It, the funny thing that I found fascinating was the, the the rule that he violated was put into play, and I credit The Athletic for a good little write-up on this. It was created in, I believe, 94, uh, the NCAA changed the rules, just so that it was a cost-saving measure because some teams just couldn't afford to send scouts everywhere. So they said, all right, none of you can send scouts anywhere. So that that was where that rule came from. I thought that was kind of a fascinating one. Um, so I guess, you know, Akron, you're, you're still okay. You don't have to worry about funding that. But one day, one day the zips will rise and you will all fear the rue. Um, but not, not anytime soon. Uh, Ski Master Murphy, I saw your hand up. Yeah, I was also going to mention sort of like the reasoning for the rule is a little, it, it makes sense. I don't think anyone ever thought there was a rule against, you know, going to your opponent's games and watching them. I'm pretty sure everyone thought, you know, since Spygate, they'd be ruled against recording them. But it was interesting to find out since 94, they was like, yeah, it costs too much to allow you guys to send people to go out and scout. So we're just making so no one does it. But also, there's one of these things like each day a new detail comes out about Connor Stallions, which lets you know how on one side sophisticated his system was that he set up, but also like on another side how like he made it a very easy paper trail for everyone. <laughs> yeah, to he bought everything under his own name, and then he would just yeah, like he... gift the the ticket to somebody else. So he's both. It's in like he's a, he's an enigma. He's both apparently really good at interpreting signs and finding things and doing this this diabolical you know ability to find stuff, but at the same time he is absolutely not in any way trained in espionage because he also bought everything under his own name. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's, worse, it's, worse than Oh, my goodness. Like, I almost wonder, did he just not know you couldn't do that? Because it's so flagrant at this point. Somebody must have been like, do we ask him how he's getting this? You know, I'm wondering if that's like, did he get to talk to the other coaches like, hey, I figured out these signs. How's he figuring this out? We better not ask. You know, uh, I always think of that scene. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's it's one of the things where it's like now at this point is sort of like they basically the coaches had to know because of um, even today, um, I watch Buckeye fans. Of course, they're going to complain because it's us. But they made a very good, very good testament by posting the first drive of last year's Oh, game. I've seen that. Yeah, where he's on and, the sideline. Yeah. yeah, he's on the sideline. I mean, one, one revival, like one particular play, but I saw like a sequence of like five while, like, while they're moving up the field. And you can just see like immediately our sideline, like when, they get, when the Buckeyes get their signal in, our sidelines immediately signaling runner pass. And I'm just looking at this like, oh, that's he's guilty. That's a, that's a guilty man. Oh, man. It is just, you know, 
this is the kind of drama that makes college football fun because the stakes are so low. But at the same time, people get really angry about it. <laughs> so it makes it fun for those of us who aren't necessarily parts of the two teams. I'm going to tell you that much. This has been absolute pure entertainment. It's like, and I love it, you know, because at one point, you know, somebody even asked Deion Sanders on the subject and people were like, oh, I forgot Deion Sanders was even part of you know, college football for a moment. But thank you for bringing up Deion. I'm so glad we now get him in as part of it. And for the record, he said he didn't really care. He thought Michigan was fine doing whatever because it's like you got to stop the play anyway. But uh I guess we will then have to wait to see what Draw Rule has to say about all of this. Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up. Wow, we've been going for over 90 minutes. Wonderful. So this was RCFB Talk 163. My name is Bob Akairi. And, you know, I'll just do one last plug. I've also started as part of the uh, an existing college football podcast, College Football Survivor Show. Doug LaMaurice has gone and created his own college football website. He was with the Cleveland Praying Dealer. I've stepped in. I'm now the co-host of a show with CBS Sports national reporter Shehan Jeharaja. We have the two most complicated names in college football, Bob Akairi and Shehan Jeharaja. At Starbucks, we're Bob and Sean when we order coffee. We'll be talking... All, we're just going to be focused entirely on the teams that might make the college football playoff. So that's College Football Survivor Show. I won't overpromote that. But on behalf of all of us at RCFB, I just want to thank all of you who joined us. There were so many good calls, so much conversation about so many teams. We always enjoy hearing from you every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. So on behalf of all of us, I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>